Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to this version of the Bible Questions podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff, one of your co-hosts. Uh, with us today is Brian. How are you doing, Brian? Hey, good afternoon. Great to be here, Jeff. So for those who may not know, this is part two of a two-part series related to how to properly study the Bible. And so if you haven't heard part one, we would definitely recommend you go back and listen to that one first, because we sort of introduced the topic in terms of the importance of going beyond just reading the Bible to actually study it. Uh, because even though a good portion of it's relatively easier to understand, some parts are most definitely harder. Uh, we talked about the occurrence of a lot of religious uh, division that in many ways is due to a failure to properly understand uh, the Bible and those kinds of pitfalls that we need to be careful to avoid. We talked about several things to keep in mind you know, as you're reading and studying the Bible. Uh, certainly context, not only the words or phrases around a particular passage, almost like a paragraph, if you will, but also, and in some ways more importantly, uh, what the Bible has to say elsewhere on the same subject, and the need to properly harmonize uh, all that the Bible says on a subject, regardless of you know, where you might find it. We talked a little bit about the importance of understanding the audience uh, that is being addressed in a particular passage, along with the you know point that the author is trying to make to that particular audience uh, and the points that uh, the author is trying to, to drive home for them. We spent a, a fair amount of time talking about literal versus figurative language. Some passages are literal. You wouldn't want to take them figuratively. Some passages are figurative and you wouldn't want to take them literally. So you got to take the, uh, the proper uh, view. And throughout uh, the last part one, we mentioned that a lot of these things are pretty commonly understood, commonly accepted in normal, everyday communication with English. If I'm listening to someone talk or a uh, politician makes some statement or a newscast, whatever, you know, we use literal language and figurative language and we understand the difference. We understand the importance of context, etc. Well, the scriptures in many ways are, are the same. We have to apply many of the same rules. We talked about a particular uh, conditions or circumstances, you know, for a given passage that can you know, have a bearing on the meaning. And pretty much we wrapped all of that with the need to, as I said, do more than just read, actually study the Bible and approach it as one would any modern or historical document to really try to understand what's really being said. So that was like part one. So part two, today, uh, we're going to cover a number of other aspects of properly understanding the Bible to include uh, the proper definition of words and phrases. Uh, we'll talk about the proper attitude that we should have when we approach the Bible uh, to study it, various study aids that are at our disposal and how to not only understand what the Bible says, but also how to better apply it to our particular circumstances. And so it'll be a pretty meaty podcast, Brian. And I think we'll also be wrapping up with a few uh, 
questions submitted to our website that kind of illustrate uh, some of these principles. Yeah, definitely will. In fact, we always like to have a few questions that are submitted to our website. And the other thing we'll do, Jeff, at the end of our study is we're going to give our listeners some resources on our website. We have a couple of actual multi-part studies that folks can go through at their own pace uh, if they really want to dig into this more deeply. So we'll cover that as well at the end. And appreciate you summarizing what we studied last time, what we're going to take a look at today. So why don't we just dive right in and this first uh, point you're going to cover, and that is how it's so critical when we study God's Word to correctly define words. Mm, Very important. And, you know, we already mentioned the importance of uh, context in determining the, the meaning of a word. And obviously that's because words often have multiple meanings. I mean, I'll give you a silly little example. I could use the word right, R-I-G-H-T, right. Now, that I could be referring to something that's morally correct, like doing the right thing. Or I might be referring to a privilege a person has by means of their citizenship, like a civil right. Or I just might be agreeing with the person's statement, as in, yep, that's right. Or maybe something suitable, like getting the right tool. Or even, you know, to restore something to a vertical position, like writing a capsized boat or canoe. I mean, without the context, you really can't tell what is the appropriate meaning. And likewise, when we come to the scriptures, there are a lot of words that, honestly, you know, our audience you know, may not know and might, might need to look up in a good Bible dictionary. I mean, I just, you know, here's a quick list of, you know, half a dozen. Passover, synagogue. Sanhedrin, Blackeries, eunuch, foreskin, scapegoat. I mean, a lot of words that, handedly, we typically don't use in our language today. And you may notice that I did say a good Bible dictionary and not necessarily an English dictionary. And that's because some words in the Bible, used in a Bible context, kind of may be different than their common English equivalent or the common English usage today. You know, Brian, I mean, here's a good example. If I use the word church, a lot of people will immediately think in terms of a building, you know, for religious purposes, brick, mortar, wood frame, whatever. However, if you dig into the Bible's use of the word and the underlying meaning of that word, it's not about a building at all. It's about a group of people or an assembling of people or the ones who've been called out for a special assembly. That's referring to people, not brick and mortar. For example, when Jesus claimed that he would build his church, Matthew 16, 18, he wasn't referring to building a building, right? Like a carpenter would. He was referring to building the saved, his, his church. Here's another term. And I got like, you know, a couple more. Um, we often hear the word pastor, today, which commonly is used for a congregation's uh, preacher, main preacher, etc pastor. Uh, but again, if you go back into biblical usage, biblical definition, pastor is really one context I'm thinking of. It's a verb. that means to pastor or to shepherd, which again, in some ways kind of goes back to historical context, right? You know, we today, you know, we, we typically don't deal with livestock, sheep, cattle, etc., for that culture in that period of time, they would readily recognize, oh yeah, a shepherd is an important role, taking care of the sheep, feeding them, giving them pasturage, protecting them from you know wild animals, etc. 
but the key point I'd like to make is the process of pastoring or shepherding a flock. If you dig into the verses where it's used, it is indeed referring to the role that a congregation's leaders have. But those leaders have several terms that are used to describe them. In addition to the function of pastoring, you'll find equivalent terms like elders, overseers, bishops, depending on your translation. And at least according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they have to meet certain qualifications, like being married. So it's not just the normal preacher, married, unmarried, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a special word, special meaning, which carries special qualifications. And the last thing I'll, I'll throw out here, Brian, in terms of Bible definitions, uh, another word that's very frequently you know, misunderstood is the word baptism which in some ways is a transliteration, not a translation, from a Greek term. Well, the Greek term, pretty much the same letters, baptisma. Okay? So they didn't really, the translators, most of them have not translated the equivalent meaning of the word. It just brought the Greek letters over into English instead. People often commonly use that term for a whole variety of actions. Sometimes they'll use it to refer to sprinkling water on an infant or sometimes pouring water on a person's head. Again, if you go back into the Greek, look at the original language definition, you know, meaning of the term, it has a lot narrower meaning, that of immersion or submersion. And you can kind of see that uh, hinted at in John 3, 23, which says, and John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. Just kind of a little side comment, but if you're just sprinkling water on someone or pouring a little bit of water on them, you don't need much water. Whereas original meaning of the word makes sense, I would need much water, at least just a much greater degree if I'm going to submerge them or immerse them. So in some ways, people may undergo a religious ceremony or rite that they call baptism, but that's just not the action uh, that the scriptures define. Brian, any other thoughts or examples you want to offer up? Well, I think the good news, Jeff, is that the Bible was written in a language, you know, Koine Greek, that, that's been frozen. It's a frozen language. So therefore, the definitions, you know, do not change with the times. And, uh, you know, we see that in English a lot, don't we? That over the years, there are certain terms who, you know, it might have been an inoffensive word back in the 1920s, but it's an offensive right. word today. Uh, the beauty of, of Koine Greek, of course, it's frozen. We do have the ability to understand uh, what the Holy Spirit was saying. And I feel like, Jeff, it's a more precise language that often does a better job of conveying uh, what the Lord wanted than the, the English does. So, Right. And, you know, that's certainly true, for instance, when it comes to verb tenses, for instance, where we have three. I think the Greeks, if unless I'm mistaken, had like five or six right. you know, exactly. yeah. verb tenses, some which we struggle. What's the next section you want to talk about? Yeah, let's move on now. Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of precautions and the proper attitude that we should have for study. And really, this is one we probably could have put first, Jeff. But, you know, it's, it's just one where before we formally engage in any kind of study, and of course, here we're talking about Bible study, it's so important that we approach it with the right attitude and with an awareness of what can hinder our study. So I want to repeat that one more time, and that is not only that do we need to have the right attitude, but we need to be aware 
of things that can hinder or influence our study. So for instance, if we were to approach a study strongly believing that musical instruments were acceptable to be used in worship, then there's a good chance that we could try to use the scriptures to prove what we already believe. So if maybe uh, you were raised in a denomination, the church that you were a member of used musical instruments in their worship. You like the way it sounds. It sounds great. It's what you know. It's what you're used to. It's what your family's always done. Well, when that happens, you know, we tend to hold on to those things that we're familiar with and that we like. And so it'd be easy during Bible study to try and go out and look at, for instance, the Old Testament passages where we see that during worship, instrumental music was actually used. But yet we see if we study the New Testament, the law of Christ that we live under today, that musical instruments are no longer allowed in worship, and instead we are to sing and make melody in our hearts, as we see in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, for instance. So anyhow, you know, you've probably heard this is used, or this term is called a preconceived notion, and it's basically an opinion that we form beforehand without adequate evidence. And so, you know, it's just a danger that we have to be conscious of. We also need to be conscious of the fact that when we're emotional, if we're angry about something, or maybe we're emotional or upset at, that there is a law that prohibits something that we want to do, it can affect, once again, how we study, how we believe. And so we just need to be aware of these precautions that we should take and, and the proper attitude that we should have uh, when studying the Bible. I think that's an important point because in, in some ways we don't want to project ourselves onto the Bible. Whereas you're saying we don't walk, don't want to walk into the Bible saying, well, I think X is true. And now I will go look for evidence to show that X is true because, you know, more often than not, you can probably find something somewhere that sounds like that. And you'll walk away with this, you know, kind of preconceived, you know, bias being validated. But no, you didn't uncover the truth. You uncovered some ways what you wanted to find if you're looking for something more than likely you'll probably find it even though it may be the wrong conclusion that's exactly right and in fact you know we don't necessarily have a section on this part jeff but i just want to interject uh, the the influence of others you know sometimes people will say oh yeah you can remain in that marriage the bible says it's okay or, or whatever yeah you can use instrumental music in worship that, that it's fine well regardless of what people say we have to vet out what they're asserting and see if it's actually true in the scriptures. So, you know, we, we don't just accept somebody's word for it. Now, it's, I think, once again, in, in civil life, we, we understand that. So one thing that we want to make sure that we do is we want to make sure we're open-minded, though. Open-minded in the sense that we just want the Bible to teach us. We're like a sponge. We're open to whatever it's teaching us. So when, when you hear this phrase, be open-minded, or hey, we should all be open-minded, of course, it means that we're, we're receptive to ideas or arguments. So when we think about how does this apply to studying the Bible, well, if we go in and we do not have these preconceived notions we just talked about, if we're just open to whatever the Bible teaches us, well, then we're going to be more likely to understand what the Bible is actually trying to teach. And so, you know, it's common for, for all of us to form opinions, you know, based on how we've lived our life or what we think or so on and so forth. Uh, we just have to make sure it doesn't affect our objective study of the scriptures. So even if we believe something to be true and if we go into the Bible study with an open mind and we find out it's not true, well, we're a lot more likely to accept what the scriptures teach. 
uh, and more likely to change our opinion if we see in the scriptures that what we believe has proven to be false. That's especially important because we have biases, if you, we all have biases. You know, sometimes it's based on our family or an influential teacher in school or a Bible class teacher or uh, a particular, you know, pastor or priest or rabbi or preacher or, and we may fall into a trap that says, well, I mean, these are educated people, you know, these were my parents or these were, Surely they can't be wrong. Well, exactly, exactly. And, you know, with, with some preachers and such, you know, they're, they're supposed to be in the word. In some cases, they're quote unquote ordained by their you know denomination. And, you know, that's where they spend a good portion of their time. You know, I'm just, you know, Joe member sitting out on the pew. So, okay, fine. I'll just go and accept what he says. It's like, well, no, uh, I think you had a quote, I think from first Timothy at the beginning of part one where you know we're commanded to study <laughs> to show ourselves approved uh, i'm also reminded of jesus teaching that if you know if the blind lead the blind well unfortunately both are going to fall into the ditch and all that it just kind of reinforces what you said about us individually needing to study for ourselves and come to a proper conclusion regardless of how we may have been taught or the culture we grew up in yeah, that's right. And as you said, we, you know, it's so important that we not allow ourselves to be influenced in a way that we almost don't recognize it. <laughs> you know, we just, right. because of whatever, in fact, emotion, let's talk about that because another precaution we have to take is to make sure that we do not let emotion affect our ability to study and accept what God's word has to say. So one common area where emotion has affected the Lord's church over the past several years is in the area of divorce and remarriage. You know, we had a study previously on divorce, Jeff, with Alan, and, you know, he went through passages like Matthew chapter 19, verses three through nine, and showed how the scriptures clearly teach, you know, that God's intent is for there to be one man and one woman for life. Uh, and if one of those parties are unfaithful and commit adultery, the other innocent party has the ability to divorce them. But that is the only reason. Now, when some find out that that is the only reason that they can divorce someone, maybe they just don't get along with the person. There could be a variety of reasons why they would like to divorce. But when they find out that, you know, once again, Jesus only provided this one exception, now they can let their emotions influence them to the point where they start coming up with you know, additional reasons why it's okay for them to get a divorce. So, you know, sometimes you'll hear things like, well, you know, he abused her or, you know, he did not know the truth when he divorced his first wife. So, you know, he, he would not have remarried had he known he didn't have the right to remarry. There's all sorts of emotional arguments that can be made. Sometimes people will say things like, well, they have children. So if you're telling them they don't have the right to be remarried or married at all, What's going to happen to the kids? It'll affect them so drastically. Well, once again, emotions are important, but if they cause us to deviate from the truth, we have to be able to hold that in check. And so, you know, we won't find anywhere in the scriptures where things like he abused or somebody didn't know the truth as a valid reason to divorce. And to be clear, as we said in that study on divorce, we're not saying that somebody has to be physically abused by a spouse and do nothing about it. We're not saying that at all. We're just saying that the Bible does not allow somebody to divorce their spouse. 
simply because of abuse. It has to be adultery. Now, the, the family can keep themselves safe and those sorts of things. And so sometimes when you look at what can be done, that can help deescalate that emotion. The reality is, though, that we have to be very careful and conscious of what emotions can do to us when we uh, find out what the Bible teaches. Yeah, it's interesting that emotion can carry us in a couple different directions, Brian. I mean, you know, one is to try to offer up emotional reasons, human reasoning, why a passage maybe shouldn't be taken in the way that it needs to be taken. So I'm trying to explain the passage away. Or there may be other passages because I'm in an emotional state, I, I want to grab on and latch on to these passages. And, and that's not good either. As we said, sometimes it may be anger, sometimes it may be sadness, you know, sometimes it may be based on our upbringing. Uh, again, maybe a, a pride of who we are, or who our family was, or you know, who my father was in terms of being an outstanding religious leader, or, you know, are you trying to say my parents are wrong? You know, any number of different ways that emotions can kind of wrap us around the axle when, when they shouldn't. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, as Bible students, we have an important responsibility to prove what is true in the scriptures. We're told that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, where the King James Version says, prove all things, hold fast what is good. And so, you know, our attitude needs to be like those in Berea who were told in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, receive the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So in other words, they didn't just accept Paul or another apostle's word. They compared what they were being taught with the Bible, or in this case, it would have been the old law that they had access to. And so even if we have the utmost confidence in a preacher, as you were saying earlier, Jeff, or another Christian, we still have the individual responsibility to verify if to see if what they are teaching is consistent with the truth. And so, you know, this is one area, especially in the denominational world, that results in false doctrine. All too often, people will accept something that is taught or they'll believe in a convincing opinion from somebody they respect without taking the time to see if it is consistent with the Bible. And so, you know, this is often why we have a lot of denominations today, Jeff. There's, this is why we have a lot of error today. And it really is the main reason why we really need to study to ensure we're practicing what's right. Well, good point. And, and I'm reminded, you know, during these podcasts from time to time, you know, we'll take what we're saying, like you did just now, turn it around and apply it to our listeners. You know, to say in this particular case, you know, don't just take our word for it, right? Go to the website, look at, or listen to the scriptures we cite, or go to the website, read the articles, look at the scriptures that are cited there. Open your Bible and maybe some of these other study aids that we're going to talk about in a few moments and see if what we're saying is true. Because, you know, after all, we're not inspired. You know, we are fallible. We could be accidentally or intentionally leading you astray and you wouldn't want that to happen. And even though we're saying it, same applies to us. You got to go study for yourself. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so, why don't we shift gears now, Jeff, and can you talk a little bit about the use of study aids? And when we say study aids, I know it kind of sounds obvious, but we're talking about things like Bible dictionaries and commentaries and other tools, if you will, man-made tools uh, to help us understand the truth. 
Right. And it's, it's an interesting subject because, you know, first of all, if you think back not that long ago, 30, 40 years and beyond, you know, sometimes it was very difficult uh, and or expensive you know, to get various aids to study in the Bible. You actually had to go out, go to a library or, or go to a bookstore and actually purchase books and you know, take them home. But now with the invention of the Internet, you know, we have access to a whole vast library of such aids instantly at our fingertips for free. You can go on the Internet to you know, certain websites that are like online Bibles, and they have all different kinds of things associated with that more than just a translation of the Bible. Let me just kind of quickly go through a, a list. You know, Bible dictionaries, right? we mentioned that earlier. Dictionaries that help provide insight into the meaning or meanings of the underlying Hebrew and Greek words that are translated into our modern English versions, you know, Bible dictionaries. Concordance, that's a term that basically more old school uh, where you can find all the occurrences in the Bible of a particular English word. You, know, you can use that to help you find a passage. For instance, if you remember a particular word potentially from the passage, but you can't remember where it is, concordances will help you with that. Uh, sometimes, like with Bible dictionaries, a concordance can give you insight into how the word is used in different ways in different passages. As I said, we often don't use the word concordance anymore. Today, it's easy. It's like search keywords <laughs> you just type in the word you want and it just you know gives you the list of all the words where it's found uh, automatically and which also helps you with what we were referring to earlier as the remote context uh, around a particular word or a particular passage bible atlas you know basically maps and other kinds of aids that are like geographical where you can find you know various place names or you know cities or tribal locations etc can kind of help give you the geographical context brian i think you mentioned commentaries you know commentaries are kind of a two-edged sword in some ways i mean they're they're written by people only trying to explain their understanding of particular scriptures and you know sometimes commentaries are great because they'll have you know references to other passages or other concepts or definitions of words or how to apply it etc but like with all man-made reference aids, you really have to be careful. And remember that study aids in general, and commentaries kind of in particular, are the writings of uninspired men and may reflect their own religious background or their own religious bias, or in some cases, even their own religious false doctrines. So again, commentaries can be useful, but you gotta be careful. You know, we already mentioned online study Bibles. So it's like wrapping all these things together, you know, multiple translations, keyword searches, online links to dictionaries and commentaries and just all kinds of stuff. Brian, anything else you want to make this context? Yeah, there's no shortage, is there, of, of different tools and aids that can be used. You know, one other one that came to my mind was, you know, there have been many historical books that have been written to teach what life was like during the time when the Bible was written. And like I have one called Sketches of Jewish Social Life. I have one that's Everyday Living in Bible Times, you know, things like that, where much like we were talking about earlier, understanding the environment that Christians were living in during the time the Bible was written. Uh, these give you a really good idea of what life was like back then. And 
it, it once again gives perspective, much like you did, Jeff, earlier when you were talking about, you know, you have an agrarian society of people that do a lot of farming. Well, Jesus used a lot of farming parables. He knew that they would understand things like the parable of the sower. And so once again, just a little history sometimes helps in studying because it gives you, you know, perspective of what it was like back then. Oh, and I appreciate that. You know, one of the things just popped into my mind as you were talking, you know, Jesus admonishes his disciples to, quote unquote, go the extra mile. Now, if you didn't understand the context, you might not really fully appreciate what he's saying. But as I recall, uh, since these people were living under Roman law, Roman soldiers would often compel citizens to carry their gear (laughs) a certain distance. And Jesus is saying, yeah, and under some circumstances, you need to be willing to carry, you know, go the extra mile. First mile to begin with. So when he told him the second mile, I'm sure that was like, what? Right. Well, and especially given, again, a historical context of Romans coming in as into Jewish lands. Number one, as conquerors. Number two, as pagans. <laughs> so to tell his Jew, Jewish audience, you know, don't put up a fuss. You know, you're under Roman law, for example. You know, if you have a soldier that kind of compels, compels you to carry his gear for a mile, you know, be nice, be cheerful about it. You know, offer to, quote unquote, go the extra mile, which in modern language, people might go, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> but if you know the historical context, I can give you added meaning. Definitely. Well, you know, we've been talking about the different principles on how to properly study the Bible. And when it's all said and done, it comes down to now applying what we've learned. And so proper application of scripture, I would argue, is probably one of the most important parts of Bible study properly apply what we have learned. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's a really straightforward passage. But for us to be able to do the will of the Father in heaven, we need to understand it properly and we need to apply it to our life properly. So the discussion up to this point, you know, really focused on different aspects of Bible study you know, respecting the authority of the scriptures, considering the context and audience, using study aids and so forth. All of those are important parts, no doubt. And and once we've studied and gained an understanding, well, now we have to look and say, okay, where can I make application? In fact, I would say, as you study any principle from God's word, you really should always be looking with, how does it apply to me? How can I use this in my life? And so a couple passages I'd like us just to consider. In fact, before we get to those passages, you know, we've talked in, in previous podcasts about God's plan of salvation. And one thing, you know, the Bible teaches us is if we would like to be saved, uh, you know, we need to hear the word of God. And you know, whether it's hearing a sermon or reading it, we need to hear the gospel, hear the truth. We need to believe it. We need to be convicted by it and be willing to repent of our sins. And then we need to be baptized. And so these are all things that we know just from, you know, what the Bible teaches. And so when we respect what the Bible teaches, we understand those are the steps. Now, some people, as you touched on also earlier, Jeff, when they think of something like belief, that they feel that that's all that's needed because, hey, there's a passage that says, if you believe in your heart, you know, that's it. That's all you need to do. Well, the the Bible makes it clear that we have to do more than that. So Anyhow, the point I'm making is, even if we did not want to be baptized, even if we believe that just believing was good enough, 
that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> because ultimately we have to practice what the Bible teaches. And so, for instance, James chapter 1, uh, verses 20 through 22 through 25 talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And then he goes on to say, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And just, just a quick sidebar here. You know, we have some who feel like they're saved by God's grace and it's grace only and there's nothing we can do to merit salvation. So they might argue, well, you know, it's not all about what you do. It's actually what God's grace allows. Well, this passage teaches differently, doesn't it, that it actually takes us doing what God wants us to do. It does. Well, and it's another one of those, you know, some parts of the Bible, depending on the audience and the point being made, are emphasizing God's grace. Other passages and context and the author and the audience, they're emphasizing the need to, you know, accept and believe Jesus as, you know, God's son, Messiah, personal savior, however you want to phrase that. And yet you can also find other context and passages and audiences where the author is trying to make the point that you actually have to do something, as you're alluding to here with uh, James. And it's not, it's grace, but not grace only. It involves faith, but not faith only. It involves works of obedience, not works only. <laughs> it, it, it takes all together properly harmonized. Yeah, and therefore we have to study everything the Bible says about salvation, right? And point you make is, is a good one, Jeff, as far as the grace point, because, you know, in the sections of Scripture where grace is being focused on, it's for a reason, and it's for teaching, you know, in that area. Uh, Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Romans chapter 2, verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. A couple more quick passages. First, John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And then James 2, 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, the answer to that question is no, not faith alone is not able to save him. And so, you know, sometimes scripture is not properly applied because we haven't taken the time to study it thoroughly enough to understand the truth. And, and you know, this frequently happens in man-made religions. You know, their interpretation and application of scripture often varies, as we've touched on, and it varies greatly from what the Bible teaches sometimes. And so, you know, if we don't once again examine the truth, we may not have any idea that what the church is practicing is wrong. And so, you know, the, the same danger exists for all Bible students, and this is why we have to take our time to carefully study the Bible. Uh, you know, God has given us all minds to comprehend what is taught. You know, some would have you to believe, and this is where I would criticize the Catholic Church. You know, they teach this clergy and laity concept where, you know, your normal person isn't smart enough or isn't, you know, in their eyes, it's not God's intent that, you know, the laity understand the truth. Only priests, only the clergy. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite, as we touched on very early on. God's not going to tell us to study to show ourselves approved, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, if he's not giving us the ability to understand it. 
And so he's given us that ability. We just have to put in the time. And ultimately, you know, we know with passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, that we're going to be judged based on how we've lived our life. And we're going to be judged based on the standard that God set forth. Uh, John 12, 48, like Jesus said, the, the, his words will judge us in the last day. And so uh, we just want to make sure that we understand how important it is for ourselves to make proper application of Scripture. All good points. Okay, so as we move to the last section of our study today, we're going to take a look at some Bible questions that have been submitted to our website, BibleQuestions.org. And the first one is for you, Jeff, and it comes from Johnny. And Johnny says, I have a question about Albert Barnes' commentary. Albert Barnes was an ordained minister of the First Presbyterian Church. He was not a member of the Church of Christ, so therefore he was not a Christian. How do we respond to a fellow Christian that refers to the work of a non-Christian to answer questions about the Bible? So that's kind of an interesting question, isn't it, Jeff? Because his, his question presupposes that it's wrong for a Christian to use a non-Christian reference anyhow. Right. Well, and, and there's a couple of different facets uh, and a couple of different extremes we, we need to watch out for. I mean, at a very base level, you know, all commentaries we have to acknowledge are written by uninspired, fallible men. You know, whether they're members of the Church of Christ, member of some other, you know, some religious denomination, Baptist, Catholics, whatever. Okay, so first of all, they're all uninspired. And because of that, any commentary needs to be used with care and you know, a degree of discernment, especially, for instance, if it comes to matters of salvation and worship and the work of the church, etc. The second point I might make is just because you're a member of the Lord's Church, that is not a guarantee that everything you write. Right. I mean, everything you write down is correct. Nor, conversely, does it mean that being a non-member automatically guarantees that everything you write is wrong. Now, I've heard of a couple extremes. You know, one extreme would say, well, you know, only members of the Lord's Church, the Church of Christ, etc. You know, we should only be using material written by fellow members, regardless of almost like regardless of what they teach and you know that's an extreme position and probably more importantly it would eliminate a vast vast amount of very valuable legitimate study material and i'm going to toss out some words here maybe our audience is familiar with them strong's concordance vines expository dictionary smith's Bible dictionary and there are others that are very commonly used within you know churches of christ uh very commonly quoted etc those are not members of the church of christ yet we commonly use them right as 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 reliable study aids where they're teaching you know accurately the other thing i'll mention uh, is the need to use quite a bit of discretion when talking about such commentaries to other people to including you know potential you know new members for instance you would not want to give the impression because you're let's say quoting albert barnes or vines or strongs or smith that you endorse everything the author might say or that you endorse the religion that they practiced in particular and candidly in in all honesty you know there are some authors that you know i, I wouldn't even mention even if they did say something truthful in the scriptures, 
because in general they might be associated with a lot of you know false doctrine false teaching etc so yeah i might not even want to you know mention them specifically lest i give the you know wrong impression uh, perhaps to you know a younger member etc now quite frankly you know brian i think you might as well you know when we answer questions that are submitted to the website personally i use a number of commentaries written by non-members mm -hmm. honestly sometimes they express the truth and, and sometimes in ways a lot better than I could have. <laughs> um, now, I do, if I am going to quote, you know, a commentary, you know, look at what he says just to make sure, uh, you know, review it very carefully, you know, to, to make sure, you know, it is right. So anyway, the, uh, we can only use religious material written by members of the church, for members of the church, uh, I think is an extreme position. And yet at the same time, we'd have to be careful uh with any bible study aid that we use yeah good answer i use commentaries when i answer questions and a lot of what i like is the historical context they can often give a lot of times these are scholars that fully understand hebrew and greek and word tenses and all of that but like you just said do it with a with with caution i often come across commentators who will make comments and it clearly conflicts with scripture and you're sort of scratching your head saying, how could they have concluded that? So, you know, once again, we, we have to be so careful because they are men, they are not inspired and no doubt can take us down the wrong path. Right. So we'll uh, switch tables here, Brian. I've got one for you. This comes from Lopang and he wrote in asking, I want to learn the Bible. Where should I start? Yeah, it's a good question. We get actually quite a few of these kinds of questions, don't we, Jeff? As far as somebody saying, hey, I just want to learn more. What do you recommend? And I appreciate that attitude. Number one, you know, somebody really is is interested. Well, we, we have tools. And so one of the places that we feel like is a great place to start is really just taking our free Bible study course. And I mention it just because you'll see it on our homepage. It's referenced there. It's called the Bible Basics course. And it has a series of eight lessons that you know, are very beneficial in, in understanding the Bible. So you literally just go through them. You can read through it and answer questions through our website, and then you just submit it, and it actually comes to me, and I grade it and then send back the link to the second lesson. So anyhow, if you're thinking about, hey, I sure would like to just start learning the fundamentals, you know, the ABCs, if you will, of the Bible, this is really a great place to start. The other thing I would encourage LePang to do is, is just read your Bible every day. The, one of the best ways to learn the Bible is to read it. I know that sounds fairly obvious, right? But for instance, on our website, under if you go into the study aid section, you'll notice that we have free reading plans that help you to spread out the reading of the Bible so that you can read the entire Bible in one year. And it literally by days tells you, hey, read these passages. And if you follow that guide, then you'll read the entire Bible in one year. So that, that should be the second thing I'd encourage you to do is just read your Bible. And then finally, you know, our website has not just hundreds of Bible questions that have been answered with the answers there, but we have several study aids that you can use. And we also have links. So Jeff, there's a section we have, right, that allows folks to go in and access these free Bibles and commentaries that you were mentioning. Exactly. Yeah. On our uh, website, again, from the, the main menu bar, the, the homepage, uh, you can link directly to a page called Study Aids, which has uh, references to online Bible dictionaries and concordances and commentaries. And I think at least one uh, online Bible site that has all different kinds of uh, 
commentaries, for instance. Likewise, from the main menu under lessons, uh, I think you were hinting at that, lessons, uh, how to study. There's at least two there. Uh, one is interpreting the Bible, which has like 23 lessons that are like online. So the one you mentioned previously, I think it had like eight. So this is like the next level down uh, of 23. And again, it's online. You submit your answers to Brian and Brian will you know, give you feedback. Uh, there's also an, under lessons, how to study series called Effective Bible Study. That one is like 20 lessons. They're in PDF format that you can actually, you know, download and study on your own. Under Topics, B, the letter B, for Bible Study, I counted them up. There's about 40 different articles uh, on that particular subject. So lots of uh, material you know, at the website uh, that people can use for, for digging in. You know, Brian, one other comment I'll, I'll throw out and then I'll throw it back over to you. You know, you mentioned the, the Bible reading thing or, uh, you know, read the Bible. Here, here. Yeah. One of those, yeah, one of those plans I personally really like is a chronological approach to reading the Bible. It's not like, you know, read Genesis to Revelation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, different passages roughly in terms of chronological sequence when they occurred. So naturally the creation Genesis would be kind of the first, but then it will go into not necessarily follow straight into Exodus, but it might, if I remember correctly, somewhere in there is the story of Job, which is kind of, we think roughly around the time of Abraham. So a good portion of Genesis and, there, and, there's, and there's Job. And then you can read about the Exodus. And one of the nice things about it is when you get into some of the later hist latter history of the Israelites in Judea, et cetera, you'll act, the sequence will actually take you off into the various prophets who lived at that time and were prophesying at that time. So again, it helps to remove some of the confusion of people reading the Bible cover to cover. Things aren't necessarily chronological. Order. So I just thought I'd you know uh, mention that as well. And I'll toss it back to wrap things up. Yeah, I like that a lot, uh, that, that Bible reading. In fact, I did that one year with the chronological uh, reading. One thing I like about that, as you mentioned, Jeff, is it doesn't follow just the way the books are laid out in the Bible. But for instance, when you come to the Gospels, you know, if you read about a parable that's in all four Gospels, what's well, going to have you read all four versions so that you harmonize all four? Exactly. Anyhow, very good. Hey, one final thing for me as far as uh, aids for our listeners, and that is under the lessons section, you go to our website, there's a lessons section. And you'll notice under there, there are things like book surveys on Romans and James and first and second Peter. There's also one called Christian living. If you're looking for a particular subject or book that you'd like to study and it's here, highly recommend this. All of these studies are scripture filled studies with many Bible references. So as Jeff touched on earlier, not only you know, you're not just taking our word for it. You're going in and you're, you're verifying anything that's either said by us or in this case that's been written to teach. You're verifying that it's true. And, and so we certainly encourage you to do that. And I think you mentioned the, the website has, and I honestly kind of lost count. I think we're easily up into maybe a thousand different articles on all different kinds of topics, you know, literally A to Z. So you have the topical index as well, you know, if you're interested in digging more into, I mean, you name it, faith, salvation, baptism, church, marriage, divorce, I mean, you name it, more than likely, there's something. Else. 
And oh, by the way, if you don't find it there, you can always use the ask a question button and submit a question, right? <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> well, we hope that you found that this uh, Bible study about how to properly study the Bible has been beneficial to you. Please take the time, take a look at what we discussed, study it out, and make application in your life. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.